76 proudly presents the 515 show with your host John Sarver who's at the 515 door today if you've ever been downtown it's the um i guess you'd call it the, the spring training for hot riders and that's obviously the uh autorama in Detroit now you want to have a ton of fun you, you, you can't have it unless you have it with this gentleman here that's going to be our guest coming right around the corner. If you know anything about the International Show Car Association, you will know this man more than <laughs> he may know you. Uh, that's what makes it life so much more fun. All right, so let's see what we got. Hiya, Paul. How are you? Good, John. How are you? <sighs> Dandy. Uh, Paul, you probably want to introduce yourself to everybody here. Okay, I'm Paul Pataki. I'm the ISCA General Manager, ISCA standing for the International Show Car Association. Ta-da! So we put on, <laughs> well, we put on all of the autoramas and World of Wheels car shows all around the country. Yeah, you know, the funny thing is, and I guess it's kind of like uh, in the mid-60s where everybody thought that Boss Radio uh, here in Detroit was like WKNR and CKLW, and there was, mm-hmm. but when you drove to a different city, you went, wait a minute, is that KGO? They sound just like Keener. They sound just like, and I think it's it's so much fun when people think that there's one, I mean, there's one autorama, but there's a variant of this in different cities all around the United States, right? Absolutely. Um, back in the, the 60s and 70s, ISCA uh, was formed in June of 1963. Um, 63? Because they, 1963, yes. Wow, did they um, have records in? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they started, you know, car shows were, were started by the car culture, you know, that a lot of the racers needed somewhere to go and, and uh, show off their cars in the off-seasons and stuff. So they were, you know decided to to start putting their cars into indoor car shows and you know back in the 60s there was over 200 car shows indoor autoramas and world of wheels all around the country so um now we have just 21 but um you know the the cost of venues and doing business and traveling and you know some of these some of these guys spend millions of dollars on their show cars to uh travel from city to city with these things isn't it amazing though i mean really paul that some guy spends tons of money so they can throw mirrors underneath it and put some lights there and hopefully they get close to the bathroom you know <laughs> so everybody go seize your car yes indeed well and you know here in michigan where our office is based michigan hot rod um they wanted to build their own drag strip back in the 50s so their idea to raise money was to put on an indoor car show. So in 1953, in the U of D um, sports arena there uh, at University of Detroit, they put together the first autorama in 1953 to start raising money for their drag strip that they did open in, like, 1957. 
So wait a minute. So, so the, here's your path, kitties. No Autorama, no um, Motor City Dragway. Right, right. No, no Detroit Autorama. Detroit Autorama was started because a bunch of hot rod guys with a bunch of car clubs in Michigan um, wanted to build a drag strip. So they're like, let's put the let's put a car show together and see if we can raise some money. So that's how the Detroit Autorama started. Polly, the first Autorama was when again? 1953. 1953, because that's yes. fascinating, only because... How many cars could have been there? In, well, let's see. We got post-war. So mm-hmm. uh, hot rods were just, oh, my God, were they in there? I mean, you always had hot rod. No, if you can get anything to go, you can make anything go faster. You know, but sure, sure. How, I, I'm just thinking, in 53, it had to be the infamy or, or just the beginning of, oh, of yeah. kind of street riding. Absolutely, yes. You know, and, and they weren't called street rods. They were just hot rods back then. And I think that first show had about 40 cars in it. You know, 40. And it filled the, the, the field house floor there, you know. But, uh, you know, we have a picture of that first autorama on the office wall you know, out in Auburn Hills. Really? So, uh, yes, yes. And Detroit Autorama was the first public um, event to be at Cobo Hall. In 1961, Detroit Autorama was the first public event at the new Cobo Hall in 61. Really? It, it beat the auto show? Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. See, hot riders rule. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you wonder, Paul, if the big three got the idea. You know, it's like, say, look at what these Autorama guys did. You know, why don't we bring mm-hmm. our iron down here? It seems to be a place that people want to come and take a look at cars. Oh. Sure. Ah, genius move. Yeah. Now, how many cars were in the 1954 Autorama? Uh, I think it was about 100 then. Wow. So they doubled the size, you know. So it's like, you know, and, and it just kept on going from there. God, can you imagine? You know, and and look yeah. at what it is today. I mean, it's two floors. You know, as yeah. much as you are a general manager of of you know Autorama of the whole nine yards, you say just not Autorama. You know, how many cars? If you said, look, everybody who puts in an application, we're going to take you. Size be damned. You know, we'll fit you somewhere. How many floors could you fit? Oh, we we could definitely fit more vehicles in in Cobo Hall, but. Um, you know, we have to, there's so many logistics there, you know, with fire marshals yeah, and crowds yeah, yeah. and yeah, and all of that <laughs> stuff. So, but, you know, obviously Detroit, you know, my parents used to take me to Detroit Autorama because it used to be in January and my birthday's in January. So it was like dad took me one year, then mom took me the next year until I was old enough to go myself. So um, I was going to the Detroit Autorama in the late 60s. Wait you know, a minute. Well before I could drive. Your mom took you? Oh, yes. It's a Dad swing would take and me mom. one year. Mom would take me one year. Yes. Why wouldn't they take you together? Maybe we don't want to well, know. Okay. Well, Anyways. They're just kind of splitting it up, you know, so. Yeah, but why wouldn't Dad want to go <laughs> my, every single year? Uh, my dad was a very talented tool and die maker like this state had so many thousands yeah. of 
very talented tool and die makers. And, and I was pretty proud that my dad's big forte in the tool and die world was he made all of the prototype for the stainless steel window trim and all of that crazy stuff back in the day. And he taught me the trade. So that, that's where I got my biggest day of my life was when I was 14 years old and my dad showed me how to use a Bridgeport milling machine. So, <laughs> uh, You know, perhaps what we should tell folks, too, a little bit behind the curtain kind of stuff, Paul just isn't the general manager of the ISCA. The man has talent as a fabricator beyond belief. I mean, it's just like um, it's Paul in the pecking order of fabricators, Paul. A lot of people, Al Burgler, a lot of people, et cetera. So, so there's, yeah. there's always a fight depending at what bar you're at. Who's the better fab, you know, Paul or Al Burgler? So. <laughs> well, you know, and, 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 and Al, Al is very high on my hero list. Uh, and, yeah. You know, and I certainly can't do things that Al can. My whole thing was machines, and, you yeah. know, back from when my dad showed me how to use that when I was 14 years old, in the 90s, I had my own machine shop, and my dad was retired and just came and answered my phone and quoted stuff, and he was standing behind me one day, and he says, you know, you got pretty good on that stuff. And I'm like, well, thanks, thanks dad. dad. You know, <laughs> I think I am pretty good on it. <laughs> Next? Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, you know, my thing always was, uh, you know, my dad always says that, you know, anybody can can do an easy job, but if you can't, you know, if it looks impossible, that's the one you want to do. So that's what I always, that's what I always used to, yeah, don't don't tell me I can't do this because I'm going to figure out how to do this. Job so, well done. You know, it could... That, the thing is, and of course, I we got the interns jumping up down. We were joking about Al Burgler, and, and I mean, I've never seen a guy that just can bend tin with his eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, the man is talented. I mean, and, and we did with with the all four gear show at his place. Just amazing. Any fabricator to me is, you know, these people have the gift of God, you know. And when you take a look at a Bridgeport. If we take a look at the Bridgeport, and I ran a Bridgeport for about two weeks, and I went, uh, and what else you got? You know, but but the funny thing is, I'm looking at this big hunk of yicky steel that was maybe at one time painted green or a flat military gray. You know, you had this crank on this on this thing, and you had this crank on this thing. Here's a big steel chunk of black, of square tin. You know, here's a cavity, make something happen. And I was like, after I swept out about 100 shavings around my feet, I went, you know, the people that do this are talented. <laughs> because certainly I will not do this. It's just I don't have that kind of. And now you have CNC machines and you have all kinds of crazy things. But when you see a Bridgeport, Paul, I mean, what do you see? Oh, I see endless possibilities because we've always said if you have a Bridgeport, you can make another Bridgeport on that Bridgeport. You, you can just you can you can make another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that's right. Mm-hmm. I guess, and, yeah. and Bridgeports you know, are different because they can actually physically make out of a, a square chunk of steel or aluminum or whatever. You can make something. Kids nowadays, you can equivocate it to it at like a three D printer, except for this is much 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 more hands on and much more heavy duty. Oh, absolutely. You know, but 
But even even when I had my shop, because I I took pride in my Bridgeport. I had three other ones in the shop, but mine was was all painted to the hilt, and I had a pinstriper come in and pinstripe <laughs> it, and the aluminum was all polished, and it was like everybody knew that you don't touch Paul's Bridgeport. You know, that was... <laughs> and Paul, what happens if they did? Did you like mill out a, a thirty-eight nickel and decide to shoot them? Or... <laughs> yeah, it was. You know, they would ask, "Can I use this to do?" This? Yeah, you know, and then, you know, and then. I had all, you know, mine was pretty tricked out, and and I told all of my race friends, all my drag race guys and, yeah. and all this, I have to make a living during the day. We can work on race car stuff after 6 o'clock at night. So, you know, that, that got to be kind of fun, but then it, it was neat because in the 90s, I was the co-chairman of Detroit Autorama because I was the vice president, president of Michigan Hot Rod at the time, and... and uh, Guys would just come wandering in my shop on a Saturday with like a bottle of Mountain Dew and a <laughs> and a cylinder head with a broken off bolt and said, "Hey, so and so said if I bring Mountain Dew or Doritos, you'll get this broken bolt out or you'll mill this off for me." So it's I got to know a lot of people just wandering in. That word of mouth is like, yeah, Paul's shop is over there on Grosbeck. Just wander in there, take Mountain Dew or Doritos, and and he'll fix whatever you need there. You know, just. That'll bribe him, and, and he'll fix whatever. And I'm like, well, we're certainly not going to leave a car guy high and dry. So, so all it took, that, Paul, was a Mountain Dew? Well, you know, at the time, I didn't sleep, so Mountain <laughs> Dew was great. You know, it's just... <laughs> I, I actually lived in my shop at, for a few years. Um <laughs> Due to a due to a divorce, so it's like I built a bedroom and I just lived there, and it was like, yeah, okay, comfortable. You know, yeah, it's all good. You know, I might need to lay down for a, you know, for a few, and then I have to run out and and do a car show in California or something for Super Chevy Magazine or whatever, and come back and, you know, that was probably my worst time. Was I, the longest I could ever go without sleep was four days, and I had to finish a job go out to California, do the show for the weekend, and then come back. And it was like, well, I went four days without sleep, so thank goodness for Mountain Dew. So, um, yeah, Okay, but, but there's a couple of things that Paul went to, and, and we went over really quickly, and we're going to bring back just a little bit. There was a time in the 60s, for the folks who are listening to, to us around the world right now, in the 74 countries that CKW is in, is that mm-hmm. there was one time in Metro Detroit, you would find a thousand and one small brick shops that had mm-hmm. twenty bridge ports in it, all going as fast as they possibly could, and it was to the time where if if you were cool and tool and die, you know, you would just mm-hmm. have your Kennedy on wheels because the next shop would offer you ten cents more and you're gone. You know, okay. But there were so many skilled guys around here that did that. Oh, and- and that- Go ahead. You're right, John, and that's why we always said why our toolboxes have wheels. I <laughs> I rolled my toolbox to a different shop at lunchtime and started working at another shop that afternoon. So, it, <sighs> I mean, it, yeah, it was, and you were right. For ten cents, heck yeah, I'll go over there. You know, so yeah. I mean, Paulie, <laughs> what what was the heyday of that? Sixty to sixty-nine. I mean. Because most dads were into that in Warren, we should say. 
Oh, yes, yeah. You know, and I really started working, you know, I started working for my dad in, in the 70s. And, you know, and an, and an interesting thing, my dad was on the east side, and then he partnered up with a shop with a gentleman over in Dearborn. What? And, um, yeah, so, you know, I'm going with dad, and, and we're on a street called Stecker, Michigan Avenue in Wyoming. And all of these guys are saying, oh, man, that was, that was Stecker was the big street racing place and the police used to block it off and somebody sent me a facebook video and i'm like son of a gun the starting line was in front of my dad's shop i used to cut the grass out there and the police are sitting there and that was the starting line so you know it's just you know i i i've always been into drag racing i think i told you that i talked my dad into taking me to detroit dragway in 1969 yeah because 12 and under was free so <laughs> i was free so Okay. He was a he was a tool and die guy, but he knew nothing about cars and had no idea why I wanted to go to this place. But you know, tool and like, die guy and didn't know anything about cars. No, he knew you know gas went in the back and oil went in the front <laughs> and air went in the tires. It, it was just you you built pieces for cars and you built cars. You didn't yeah. care about them. You just you drove them. You know. <laughs> so that was. You know, and and I'd have something tore apart in the garage, and and Dad would walk home at the end of the day, and he'd say, "You know what you're doing," and I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah." I wasn't going to tell him no. <laughs> <laughs> I might not have had an idea, but by golly, I'm not going to tell him that. You what know, did you so. tear apart in the garage that you may have known how to put back together? Well, I was always tearing, you know, before I, I had my own, I was sharing my mom's car and taking it to Motor City Dragway without her knowing it. Oops. And, and, uh, well, you know, and, uh, you know, then when I was able to have my own car and then one night I was, might have been perusing out on Gratiot Avenue and I came home later that evening and mom and dad were in bed and I walked through the kitchen and dad said, did you win? Uh. And I said, did I win? What, what are you talking about? Did I win? <laughs> Oops. That javelin on grass shit and 11 mile road. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he was like, yeah, your mother and I were sitting at the light on the other side. And I said, well, to tell you the truth, I beat him three out of three. So, <laughs> Yeah. Then he took out his friends and his other friends. Should have been there, dad. Yeah. So, Ooh. yeah. But, uh, <laughs> what kind of car did your mom have that you were racing on Grasha? Oh, mom had a Mustang, so that was a that was a perfect car for a mom and her teenage son to have. And they didn't so, know that you know Sonny would be taking out the car and just not going to the Seven Eleven and getting a Slurpee. Well, I think you know when it ended up with air shocks on it and traction <laughs> bars hanging down, and Dad is like, "What are those things hanging down under there?" And I'm, I, you know, that's just. To, for looks, you know, and, and better gas you know, mileage. Why is why is it so noisy? And I'm like, you know, I drug the muffler, and it must have a hole in it. Darn and it! I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, so. ah, these are like every you know, conceivable ones to tell your parents. And then, I mean, okay, Paul. So, what's the chances that your dad bought this? You know, that he bought all oh, these expeditions. <laughs> Absolutely zero, you know. It, 
You know, awesome. even you know, he he had a '61 Ford Galaxy that he drove to work, and shortly after that episode of Detroit Dragway, yeah, I just figured that his car needed a black racing stripe <laughs> going down the middle of it and moon eyes on the sail panel. Yep. So there was a black can of Rust-Oleum in the garage. Oh Lord! Probably should have asked first. Oh Lord! <laughs> ah, good so, thing you're a tall man. That's all I gotta say. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, he he calmed down and helped me straighten out the stripes, and then he says, "Well, you know, they take the hubcaps off at of the drag strip, so we might as well make it look the way it's supposed to at the drag strip." So that's the way he drove it to work. So. You know, I had a pretty good. I had pretty good parents. You know, wait a minute. Of, what what engine was in in your dad's car? It was just a two eighty nine. You know, just a just a two eighty nine and a big old Galaxy. But it was it was fun. I remember even making a fake tachometer and and taping it to the steering column. You know, in there. So <laughs> you know, when I was still a kid, and he just he just went with it. You know, he was, what a pal, what a guy. Yeah. I mean, and I take it you, they bought your mom's car new, the Mustang. Yes. Yeah, because it's yeah. weird in that era, for those who don't know, that era, a gentleman of Paul's dad and alike, the the wife would always have the best car. But the dad would have the car where you'd have to hit the gas pedal twice, roll down the window once, hit the stereo once. What stereo? Hit you know hit the windshield wiper, then start it, and then push it down the street. Oh, then yeah. it would go. But mom's car would be immaculate, you know. Oh, absolutely, yes, yes. So, did mom so get the two eighty nine also? Um, mom had a three hundred two on her Mustang. So. What year oh, are we yeah. talking about? In, uh, it was a seventy three. It was a brand new seventy three Mustang that she ended up with. Seventy three. Yeah. Wow, yeah, it wasn't the best, but you know, it wasn't the best year, but it was still it was better than a '74 Mustang. <sighs> but, that too. Um, yeah, well, I like that. The Mustang too. Yeah, sends yeah. shivers. I always did like that year Mustang with the, especially the fastback version, the flat back. Yep. You know that that was a cool, oh, yeah. cool car. But you were going to yeah. say. Oh yeah, but. But mom was was kind of tired of me messing with her, you know, <laughs> messing with her car and all that stuff. And and at the time, you know, I was a senior in high school, and I'm working at Chatham Supermarket on Gratiot and Twelve Mile, and I'm working part time at my dad's tool and die shop. And you know, I'm a kid rolling in cash. Yeah, you is. So she says you're you're buying a brand new car, so you quit working on it all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm not working on it to. Yeah. It, I'm working on it for a purpose, you know. And uh, <laughs> so she says, your 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 father and I says you're buying a brand new car, so you quit working on it. Yeah. So 1976, they didn't have Z28 Camaros, so Thank it's God. like, well, I guess I'll get a Trans Am. So I bought a new Trans Am, and the day after graduation, she dropped me off. I financed it through the Knights and Knights of Columbus Credit Union that my dad was. <laughs> one of the loan officers at fascinating and that new trans am was fifty nine hundred and fifty five dollars brand new out the door and mom dropped me off at the dealership and i gave him the rest of the money that you know that i got from the credit union and she says okay i'll see you at home well maybe i didn't go home i went to see jack mccormick at wheel city to get craig to put on it <laughs> 
I knew there was going to be a path here. Okay. <laughs> and where did you get the money to go see Jack to get the new wheels? Well, I was I was a eighteen year old kid with a lot of cash in my pocket. I mean, I was working two jobs and had no time to spend it. So, you yeah. know, I, you know, it was, uh, you know, I I got home. And obviously, we didn't have cell phones or anything like that. And I got home a few a few hours later, and mom is all freaked out, and she's like, "Where have you been?" And the car didn't look like that when you got in it. And well, you know. You just have to change some things, you know. So here it is, that afternoon, brand-new car. It's already on jack stands in the garage and <laughs> painting the underside of it and putting headers on it and all that stuff the first day I had it. So, And you're still working on a brand-new car. That kind of defeated your mom's purpose there. <laughs> well, yeah, but see, I, I don't think I fooled her. But, no, uh... no. You know, for those who don't know, I mean, it was... The the seventy six Trans Ams, if I'm not mistaken, they they had the round headlights, but they had the screaming yeah. eagle on it. They had the reverse uh, hood scoop, and I'm thinking in seventy six, did you did they have the six six then? I didn't think they did. Yes, they yes. did. Yeah, well, it was still called a four hundred, and you yeah. know, John, at that time, I really wanted a four fifty five four speed. Optional, but automatic you know, that, though, right? That, well, yeah, you know, a 400 automatic was standard, but a, I wanted a 455 four-speed. So an 18-year-old kid in 1976 for a 455 four-speed Trans Am, his insurance was $1,600 a year. Cheap. Well, <laughs> at that no. time, that was crazy, you yeah. know. And for a 400 automatic, it was $800 a year. So I had to end up with the 400 automatic because she was like, oh, "You're not going to spend more than what you're paying for the, you know, the car for insurance." Yeah, do you so, remember, Polly, what your your payment was a month? 131 dollars. Funny how you remember that. Okay, now real fast, where's your keys? Where are the keys? <laughs> No, where's your keys? It's funny. It's it's like there's things that we can remember decades ago that oh. were, were cool things, <laughs> and now if we had to find where we just put down our keys, damn it, where where is it? You know. But it's oh yeah, yeah. But you, you know, you really didn't lose much because you know the 455 back in '76 only was rated at a whopping whopping 200 horsepower, and the 400 was at a buck eighty. You know the L L78, if I'm not mistaken. You know, but exactly. hey, three hundred thirty you know, foot but, pounds torque. So well, yeah, you know, and and it wasn't long till I took the cylinder heads off of it and changed the. You know, I put a set of seventy Ram Air three cylinder heads on wow. it and a Ram Air three camshaft in it, and you know all of the trick stuff. And you know, I tell everybody it's stock, and, and <laughs> I didn't tell them it was a stock seventy Ram Air three. It was, you know, still stock. You know, you know, I'm trying. Back. I'm trying to think, Polly. The the only thing, uh, let's see, Chrysler had nothing to offer you then. Seventy six. No. I don't think Ford had. Oh, hell, nobody had anything to offer you. No. You no. know, you just had to go with what do you think? You know, the chicks would think would look cool. <laughs> You know? Well, yeah, you know, and you know, I didn't want just a plain Camaro. You know, this, the Z28 took a couple-year hiatus there, and it was like, well, let's get one of these. So, Yeah, because I'm yeah, thinking, that wasn't, 
any Camaro would have been at that time an, an RS because that was way before IROC, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah, so... Yeah. Well, wait a minute. It sounds like you're coming from a Ford family and you show up with this Trans Am? Well, he, you know, with my dad with the tool and die stuff, and then, you know, he, he got out of that and into the management part and partners stuff, so he was always doing GM and Ford stuff, so ah. it was like... He'd buy a GM car, and then, you know, and a couple of years later when, you know, he, mom would get that car, and then he'd buy a Ford, and he'd go back and forth, and then, you know, that's how that worked. So he's keeping all of his uh, people happy. Well, here we go, you Paul. Know, I mean, uh, already from <sighs> questions coming from Paul Pataki from the hotline at CKWR Radio 76. A uh, listener writes in, and... Do, do, do. <laughs> Did, did Paul ever let his mom drive the Trans Am? <laughs> hey, yes. Really? Ye- yes. When we hung out at Gratiot and 12 Mile Road, um, where all the cruisers would hang out there, Yeah. and it was a Burger King, and every, you had to have some kind of food in your car, and I was always getting in trouble, and I worked at that chatham supermarket right there so yeah. i had gotten loitering tickets there and for and trying to feed <laughs> my case that hey i'm on my way to work or i'm on my way out of work yeah so mom and dad happened to be shopping one night and saw me up there so they got out of their car got in my car and started driving around and the police shined the spotlight onto them you know figuring it was me and uh so that didn't really help my um <laughs> The way the the officer felt with me after that, that now my parents are in on this thing, you know that, uh, you know I'm innocent as can be. I'm do I'm not breaking any rules, you know. But uh, but mom and dad got a kick out of that. Matter of fact, we just got another one here saying, did mom light him up in the parking lot? <laughs> no, no, she didn't do that. But but you know, John. In, that same time, I also had to have a motorcycle, you know, to to be thrifty. Here we go. So, you know, we were in a little, and that was the year, you know, back then. Mom had the big updo hairdo and all that stuff, and she says, "Hey, take me around the block." And I said, "Mom, you got to put a helmet on." She says, "No, no, just take me around the block. I'm not putting a helmet on. I want to, don't want to mess with my hair." I got a couple a couple of houses down, and here comes the police, and I'm like, "Oh, but here we go." Pulls, you know, stops me and. Mom has to get off and walk home, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the relationship you must have had with your parents. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, yeah. are you an only kid? I mean, I can't hear anybody else getting away with murder like this at your house. No, I had an older and younger sister, and you know, I was I was the the nice one. I think. I mean, I never <laughs> thought. <laughs> Yes, yeah, it's not those devilly two sisters. Hell no, just me not getting in trouble with the obviously gross, you know, Roseville cops. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, did your mom yeah. or dad ever ask if they beat the javelin? Um, no, no. no but but you, you know, my my older sister and I did get matching loitering tickets the same night at that matching. Burger King parking lot. Wow. And um. Yeah. With the yeah, same autographs? With her, well, yeah, she was with her boyfriend at the time, and I was going to work, and I was just, we were just sitting there yakking, and the 
officer came over and shined his light and I said, Hey, I'm on my way to work and you know, you know where I work and he wasn't gonna have any you know, you know better, so he gave us both all three of us loitering tickets. So then when we went to court I he called me up first, and then the officer explained, "Hey, his sister or so family plan." Um, yeah, so because of extenuating circumstances, because I really was going to work, I was working night crew at the grocery store, so it was like, you know, he let me off, and I got a standing ovation in the courtroom <laughs> by all of the other cruisers. That you know, that's all that's in there. And bring your sisters with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, see, what happens is, for for dear listeners around here, um, we grew up at uh, 12 Mile and Ryan. And if there's anybody, you know, Warren's Warren. And when you get closer, 12 Mile could at the time, because we didn't have this freeway called 696. So you kind of took 12 Mile or 11 Mile. Some people took 8 Mile, but that was too far down to go anywhere. So if you went to the Gratiot side, you know, you, you went to where they had a place called Surprisingly, and it was a the greatest place to buy records, a place called EJ Corvettes. And it had two floors, and it was really neat. And so you would go there, and the Chatham was there in the same kind of strip mall mm-hmm. kind of thing, and the Burger King was just slightly south of all that. And so that was like like the best, that was the starting point for everything else. Everything else, if you'd go down, you know, if, from Ryan was almost like right in the middle of, I mean, Van Dyke really was between Gratiot and, and Woodward, but it was, mm-hmm. once Woodward died, you went to Gratiot. Gratiot was Mopar country, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah. ah, my people, I can breathe. You know, and Woodward was just crazy at the time, and it really was. You know, isn't it kind of, and here we go, I knew this was going to come up, and I'm going to ask anyway. It's a, a, a listener wrote, how much money did Paul pay? How much money did Paul pay in loitering tickets? <laughs> there you go. Well, I got five of them, and I don't know how much. They were probably like $50, which was a lot of money. $50? Yeah. For being in a Burger King? Yeah. Well, and then there was, you know, a few other places, too. But, uh, you know, yeah, but Skate Shopping Center down to, oh, Yeah. Yeah, but I mean... He, well, the cool thing about Chatham was, again, dear listeners, is they had one at, at 12 Mile, and, and again, right in our backyard, 12 Mile and Ryan. And uh, it was kind of like a very first Myers. And if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like where they put a uh, grocery store and they had some like home goods and stuff. And you could buy, you know, it, it was a, the front runner of Meyer almost. The one at 12 mm-hmm. and Ryan was. And then the one that they opened up at the old Tops at 13 and Van Dyke. You know, the warehouse sure. or whatever they called that for Chatham. Chatham was swinging. I mean, back in the day when you had Great Scott's, Chatham's, <sighs> Farmer Jack's, A&P, Nationals, <laughs> you know, you had everybody rocking. And for somebody mm-hmm. to work at Chatham's, geez, Paul, you're in quite high esteem. Well, yeah, you know, John, and even then, Chatham's was open 24 hours. So there was no no cashiers on duty it was any of us doing stock on the floor we could run a register so number one register would have the light on and there would be a little bell on the belt (laughs) and if somebody came in they would just ring the bell and whoever was close you just run over there and ring them up and off they would go you know and yeah but before scanners though oh yes oh yeah we still had to punch keys yeah yeah Yeah, and how long did it take you to do that, to learn how to do all that? You know, it wasn't really that 
it what well, it seemed pretty easy for us. I mean, we figured it out, you know, and and even you know on Saturday afternoon, you know, when it's really jamming in the grocery store and they have all of the stock guys that started out being baggers and all that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, they need all of the help up front. So now we're all up there and, you know, we're flipping two liters of Pepsi back and forth between the <laughs> aisles and stuff. And, you know, like, like we're big showmen up there, you know, and then we're getting, you know, our managers are like, Hey, knock it off. Just, just get the line done. And it's like, <laughs> Yeah, I here's one <laughs> from the CKWR Radio 76 hotline. What's a bagger signed a Meyer ca- Meyer customer? <laughs> yeah, they. Yeah, that's a lost trade now. Yeah, it and, is. And even now, when my wife and I go grocery shopping, I still I still bag the groceries, and they're like, "Oh, thanks for doing that." And you like, do. Yeah, you're you're never waiting on me. I'm always done before the cashier is. So. Yeah, but do you go old school? Do you try to find paper? No, I can. I well, I would rather use paper if I can find it, but because uh, those plastic ones slow you down. But uh, <laughs> we. <laughs> We could do it much faster with the paper. Slow you down. Well, I mean, could you take a look at, like, all the groceries that were coming down at you and go, okay, big box, here we go. Heavy thing, here we go. You know, a light thing, we'll put this oh, over yeah. to the side. Really? Oh, yeah. You you have three bags going at one time. You were just three flipping and doing. Three bags going. And, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're, and, and you're talking to your buddy next to you, you know, and you're just... <laughs> Yeah, those... You know, and, and I know I never got, we never got orders wrong. We always had it, you know, it was just. Nothing you know. broke through the bottom? No, no, heavens no. <laughs> Paul straightens you know, up in the chair. Know, oh, hell no. And, and, you know, and you know, back in the day, John, we had to wear white shirts and ties. You know, I mean, that was, that was our thing, you know. Yeah, my grandparents tell me about those days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, okay. Goodness. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true too. Yeah, with ties, and if you got one of those little white things too, but I think it was almost like black pants too, wasn't it? Black pants, black tie, yes. white shirt, short sleeve, and roll it up. Yeah, if you could. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I was uh, a lot of the guys had clip-ons, but I had the real tie it yourself because you know I look at you. I went to well, I went to to Catholic school, so I had to know how to tie a tie. So um, that was just. You know, if guys came in with their ties and were like, hey, this is the only one I had, tie this for me, you know. So I was one of the few guys that knew how to tie a tie back then, you know. But uh, From the CKWI Radio 76 hotline, how come the police hassled somebody who worked at their store? I, I'm, I'm thinking they're thinking well, of a store that was right there in their city. Well, maybe because some of us were seen in so many different places that, you're popular. You know, we kept. Well, yeah, we, yeah. Well, they tell you to leave. So what do you? You're not going to go home. You're just going to go somewhere else and get <laughs> booted out of there. You know. You, you know. It, you know. It, it's funny to to talk to a millennial and say, "Look, here's the scoop. At one time, this is what you did. You filled up the tanks. Maybe your buddies would kick in for gas money. Somebody had the hot car, and you went from this mile road to this mile road." Repeat, repeat, mm-hmm. repeat, repeat Friday, repeat Saturday. Nobody cruised on Sunday. You didn't cruise on a school night. 
you know. Right. But then you knew where the cops were could hide, and you knew where they couldn't hide. And this was before radar, as my grandparents mm-hmm. told me. You know, so you, you kind of knew, and it was kind of on your honor that everybody was going to leave at the green. Ready, two, three, no pre-rolls, no quick break, no nothing. Just one big-ass brake torque, and look out, kids, and you hang on. Hung on, and that's what you do. And it's so funny, Bits, because you're almost saying, look, officers, look, folks, this is, we are here in plain sight. You know what we're doing. We're not doing anything (laughs) nefarious. We're not breaking into people's homes or anything. We are here. So wouldn't you like to see us here, you know, drag racing and becoming a public nuisance? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, and you're, you know, we'd be out cruising Gratiot and all that, and you know, then there'd be a couple of hot cars, and we're going to go out to Metropolitan Parkway out by uh, Shoreline Road where there's nobody out there, yeah. and we're going to line up cars and people down the shoulder, and you'd race out there for a couple hours before the police would figure out that's where hours. everybody is, and you know, that was that was always something. But uh, I mean, could you? Know, you... My, uh, couldn't you catch a break okay. knowing uh, Tiganelli or two? You know, it's like, hey, you know, we know Mr. <laughs> Tiganelli down there. He's, he's, uh, let's let us go. <laughs> Don't buck us. Well, he didn't have that kind of good clout at that time because they knew there was all kind of shenanigans going on there, too. <laughs> but, but, you know, in, in, you know, in my junior year in high school, <clears throat> one of my buddies bought a Roadrunner. Yeah. And within a week or two of having it, he blew up the motor. So he what? wanted What? A fine Chrysler well, product yeah. rolled up? <laughs> I've never heard well, of such yeah, a thing. Yeah, you know, it, so you know, he he talked Tom into rebuilding this motor and he says, "Man, I, <laughs> I and he worked at a grocery store too, you know, I think it was Great Scots or something." And he says, "But I, I don't I used all my money on on buying the car, and I'm like, I got extra, you know, what the heck, you know, I'm working two jobs, you know. Wow, so, Paul Bank and Trust. So, yeah, so that's how I got to hang, start hanging out with, with Tiganelli's over there at Shadow Woods, and, you know, we were the heroes in high school that we got to hang out there. And, really? Uh, sure, and because that was like, you know, the, that was kind of top secret, and they knew Chrysler stuff went on in there, and Ooh. and for me and my buddy at the time, I mean, we were we were big deals going in there and wiping off wrenches and going out to lunch with these guys and and uh, going to the racetrack with them. So then it was like, hey, Paul, can you tune this and can you fix that? You know, my buddies, and it's like, well, yeah, I, I am learning stuff over there, <laughs> so. And all these years later, I'm still very good friends with those guys over there, and still uh, now I'm getting to make their car go fast. So <laughs> it's, it's kind you know, of funny. So what is the difference between a uh, Tiganelli now and a Jim and Tom forty years ago, fifty years ago? Um, well, they're a lot more casual now. <laughs> Back. Back in the day, in the gas station days, and, yeah. and John, if back in when I was sharing the car with my mom, if if she needed the car, she would drop me off at Shadow Woods and then pick me up later. You know, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> but you could just 
there would be all of those guys from the West Coast, you know, all of the heroes, you know, the Don Perdomes and Tom McEwens and Roland Leongs and all that stuff there, and it was just like, I'm just a kid hanging out with all of these guys that I read in magazines about and stuff, you know, and get to go have lunch with them. And yeah, but did you know who they wash were, Wash their trucks. Because what happens what? is that if you talk to Tom and Jim, God bless them, they, or even to Alberto or those folks, they would they, they would say, oh yeah, Don Perdomo, he was just you know just a guy, and TV Tommy Ivo, oh man, you know we had a Pepsi with a guy, as opposed to the first the person that you would think you're right that you saw these guys in popular hot mm-hmm. riding or hot rider car craft or something, and you go humming humming humming, do you sure. know who you are? You know, oh, and yeah. here they are, and the Tignellis are going, yeah, okay, uh, hey, hey Tom, give me a wrench, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. It, it, it was, you know, looking back at this, and my mother always asked us, asked me, God bless your mom, um, when mm. am I going to give up cars? And I says, I'm never going to. This is just something that I've, I'll always be into, and I still am. So Your mom asks you, know, you when you're going to give up cars? Yeah. To do what? She felt, hey, you know, I, I don't know, take up pottery or something. I don't know, <laughs> not that that's bad, but... I, I, I couldn't sit there and, and you know, I got to be doing stuff, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it's, it is kind of funny that you, <laughs> your poor parents, I go back to that, that javelin story, and it's like, oh, you set me up, folks, and, and it's like, any good kid would go, what? What could you possibly, I was at church singing hymns all day, you know, yeah, well, we saw you take it off on the line, and it was like, ugh, now what do you do? You know, you're cooked, and yeah. how do you tap dance your way out of that one? You know? Mm-hmm. But it, it is kind of fun. Oh, <laughs> here's one from the hotline. Uh, ask Paul, what is a magazine? <laughs> uh, our younger listeners, isn't that okay. that the truth? <sighs> yeah, yeah. Considering oh that you, gosh. really, because you had Hot Rod, Carcraft, Rod and Custom, Superstock, uh, Drag Race USA. You Popular get. Hot Rod. Popular Hot Riding, absolutely. Uh, depending mm-hmm. how you wanted to go with it, because then they had like um, that kind of the one that were, were like Popular Mechanics. You know, I had one of those sure. kind of, but that was, that was that was for your dad. You know, <laughs> you know how to make a cuckoo clock and how to fix your '61 Belvedere. You know, it, was, it wasn't the exciting mm-hmm. stuff. It wasn't like and in full color. And away we go, which, you know, which brings you almost back to, you know, all the folks that read, you know, Rod and Custom, they were kind of just directly to the Autorama crowd, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. You know, but but it was always the the custom cars and then the race cars, especially in the Midwest. What are you going to do with your 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 hot street car or your race car in the wintertime? Well, let's go to let's go to Autorama somewhere, you know, and and do that. So um, that's why, especially at Detroit Autorama, if you want to see a lot of race cars, you know, we have numerous shows. You know, Pittsburgh is a great show that has a whole lot of race cars, and Kansas City there's a lot of race cars there, and obviously Chicago and Detroit and Boise, Idaho. Boise, Idaho is owned by the the new family out there that owns Firebird Dragway out there. And then wow. in the wintertime, they put on a they put on their uh, 
Boise Roadster show out there and have it full of race cars. So, you know, something that we've seen is most of the time at these shows, when they bring race cars in in the winter, the motors would be blown up, the motors wouldn't be in them, all that stuff. <laughs> the, the trend we're seeing now, and especially if you go to Detroit Autorama on move-in on Thursday night, this is when they, they move in blocks in. And this is when all of the racers get to make thunder in this building. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, come Sunday night when they go to pull out and, you know, if it's a nice dry evening on Sunday there, there might be a little bit of test and tune out there, you know, on Woodward Avenue downtown and, you well, know, there was out on uh, Jefferson in front. A couple of, uh, probably about a decade ago, we were helping uh, Brian Wolf bring in his, at this time, his 5.0 Mustang, the red one. You know, and mm-hmm. it, it was, uh, we set up his booth for him, and we had a little display and whatever, how that went. But Thursday was fun because it, all you had to do was sit in COBOL, and whatever it's called nowadays. But it was it, it's amazing how many carburetors got stuck for little bits and pieces, you know. <laughs> but it, it would echo through that whole floor, you know. And, yes. And then going back. You know, Sunday was just a drag because we got there early and we had to, like, wait outside on that road that was behind there. And you had to wait for your truck to get in. And I think, my God, we mm-hmm. got out of there about 11 o'clock or something, 1 o'clock. But you're right. Everybody and their brother was like, hmm, you know, let's let's see if there's – because there's no gas, no oil in those cars, right? That's one of the stipulations? Oh, no, no. They have to have, like, an eighth of a tank of gas. But, no, every vehicle – any ISC official can go and ask for a spot check and, and ask them to fire it when they're moving in. So really? all of those vehicles, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh. Yeah. So you can't. Oh, and especially at Detroit Autorama, John, you know, when we have the, the grade eight and the Detroit Riddler yep. award, you know, for yep. best first time shown, all of those vehicles, when they come in, an ISCA official, and most of the time it's me or, or a couple of the other supervisors I have there, they have to start it, make it go forward, go backward and turn and stop with the brakes. We have to see the brakes work. So, you know, back in the day, these guys weren't putting fluids in them because they didn't want them to leak. Well, now they have to, they have to start it and, and make it work. So any wow. of these t- touring show cars, they all have to provide a spot check through through the season, and our our season actually ends um, Thanksgiving weekend down at Houston. That'll be our last show for the 23 season, and our what we call our championship finals will be at the Cincinnati Cavalcade of Customs the second week in January of 24. But we'll have about 25 cars from all around the country that have qualified, going to numerous shows and acquiring points. Every one of those vehicles has to fire for me because I'm I'm the one that's running the finals. They all have to fire and prove operability before they put it on the show floor. Wow. So, you know So all of those cars do have to fire. Even the Batmobile? Oh uh, yeah, the Bat the, <laughs> all of those cars do, do run, yeah. You know, and there is some, you know, back in my early judging days, because I started judging at Detroit in nineteen eighty three and um 
you know, you, you would just kind of notice something that doesn't look right, and you reach down and you grab a harmonic balancer and say, yeah, that's not attached to anything in there. You know, you <laughs> kind of give it a tug and, uh, you know, so, but, but the guys have gotten more, and the gals too, there's a lot of gals with some pretty fast equipment out there. And but now it's kind of your badge of honor to make thunder when you go into these buildings yeah. wherever you are, you know. So, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know the the yep. wild thing is too. Does does Detroit Arena kick off the season for the no. ISCA? No. No, our our ISCA season starts uh, January fifth, sixth, and seventh in Chattanooga, Tennessee this year. What? That'll be our first show of the season. And then how many before, maybe we should go ask this way, how many shows are there before Autorama? Well, we have Chattanooga, we have Cincinnati, we have Pittsburgh, we have Louisville, Kentucky, Kansas City, Missouri, Birmingham, Alabama, Before Detroit? Yeah, before Detroit. Um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, Tupelo, Mississippi, and then Detroit. So Detroit is March 1, 2, and 3 of 2024 this next year. <sighs> Love it. You know, it, the, one of the cool thing is, thing is, especially during the COVID years, people were itching. People were dying, mm-hmm. you know, because there is, and again, for the folks who are not in, in uh, the Midwest and certainly in Detroit, <clears throat> pardon me, it's, it's, um, Autorama is, is, the, is, kind of um spring training for hot riders it's something we look forward to every single year this michigan winters can be brutal you know and mm-hmm. by that time the the cars have probably been put away for about six you know five or six months and we're just dying to see any kind of chrome at any given time you know and autorama is just like it's it, it's it's deer hunting without the gun all guys go. Everybody brings their son. Every and now the daughters and and everybody. It, it was one of the best date nights you could have in your late teens, early twenties. You know. Oh, and, absolutely. And especially absolutely. if if TV's Batman was there signing autographs, because then you kind of also went, "Ooh, who's going to be there signing autographs?" Because that was like the other big ticket pull. You know. Mm-hmm. So and and they had yeah. you know pretty good stars at the time. I mean there was I mean the ones they had I think Henry Winkler was there. I actually found was there sure. just a couple of years ago or, or this year. Um, Henry, Henry Winkler did a number of our shows this year. Yeah, yeah, which is really and he was as pleasant as could be. But I mean you 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 could meet Don Garlitz depending on what he was doing. I mean it's just it's the carnival of cars and it really is especially now downstairs for Autorama. I mean, they have. Mm-hmm. When did they develop that, Paul? Oh, they developed that downstairs probably about fifteen, maybe longer years ago. Yeah. And thought, you know, this rat rod thing out west is kind of. It might be a big thing. Well, it turned out to be a pretty big thing. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's we all love going down there. It's its own little world. It's yeah. its own show going on down there, but. Uh, it, it is. There is a lot of fantastic of vehicles down there too. A lot of ingenuity. A lot of neat stuff. Yeah, so. uh, you can see people with their fabbing uh, abilities downstairs, and it's like mm-hmm. you, you would actually in a rat rod. There's like rat rods, and there's like like 
disco version rat rods, the ones that look bad. And then there's ones that really you wouldn't put your own life in there. <laughs> it's driving in one of those things. But that's the cool thing. And then downstairs also has bands now. That's new, mm-hmm. I mean, as far as we know. Well, you know, John, back in the 70s, Bob Larravee Sr. that owned Promotions Incorporated that was the promoter of, like, Detroit Autorama and Chicago and, and owned 99 shows back when there was 200 of them. Yeah. Bob's thing was is to bring bands. He had Ted Nugent played at the Detroit Autorama. Alice Cooper played at the Detroit Autorama. What? I mean, Mitch Ryder played at the Detroit Autorama. All of those those bands used to play at the Detroit Autorama during the show. I'm trying to think, where would you have set them up? Well, you know, Cobo Hall, and then too, wasn't as big as it is now. So yeah. they used to, I remember, you know, going standing in the crowd, you know, you just, you just stood, you didn't sit anywhere. You just stood, you know, like you were on the main floor and Bob Seeger played there a couple of times in the early seventies. See what I'm saying? See why you, my autorama is a no miss. And I'm telling you, when you're driving down those drippy, gray, icky, icy freeways, and you see the autorama sign pop up two weeks beforehand, you know, on the billboard. It's mm-hmm. just like, la, you know, it's just like the sky opened up and the sun's out. And it's like that Teletubby baby, you know, it's just like big smile on the face. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it, and you immediately start calling friends. When we go in, when can I meet you? You want to go Saturday? You want to go Friday night? When you want to go? You know, then you have to plan mm-hmm. your strategy of what's a good time, where to park. Because parking got weird downtown. I mean, it used to be really easy to get to and then... You know, you try to park on the deck, but it's still, you know, you had there. It's it's not even. We don't even ask you anymore. You're going to Autorama. If you can hear the sound of our voice, you're going to Autorama. There is there's not even a question. You know, go to you know O'Reilly's and get your two bucks off or whatever it is. You know, but it is one of those things that, especially if you're a gearhead, and I never like that expression, but if you're somebody who likes cars and and likes, you know, and, and there's so many different facets of the cars there. There's the drag race cars. There's the custom cars. There's whatever theme, you know, whether it be the Rat Fink cars or the Batmobile cars or the, you know, Green Hornet vehicle or Dora the Explorer or whoever, you know. I mean, we can mm-hmm. go on and on and on about this, but... It just, it, it's like getting, for the for the old folks, it's like getting the Sears Christmas catalog. It was like, woohoo! Oh, absolutely. Here we go. <laughs> Talking about here we go. Well, young man, we kept you for about an over an hour here, which is way longer than we promised we would, and we haven't even scratched the surface. We haven't even scratched the first Riddler Award winner. Oh, yes, I, I have my notes here. I was, you know, just... Just let me say, you know, some people say, you know, we, we touched a little bit on the Detroit Riddler um, oh. Award that started in 64. Gee, who won that? Think it's a... Al Bursler won that first one in 1964. You're welcome, Al. With, with his, with his, with his uh, comp car. Yep. But, you know, a lot of people think, oh, it's a, it's a street rod award, it's a custom award. Ooh. But, you know, the first one in 64 was Al Maynard. 1966 was Maynard Rupp. With his 66 Malibu Shavoom, won the Riddler. Shavoom. Shavoom. 1986, <laughs> Dale Hunt, Mayfair's Auto Parts over there in, in Taylor on the downriver side of Michigan, won the Riddler with his 86 Grand Am 
uh, tube chassis race car in. Wow. 95, Bob Rosoli out of, uh, oh, Maryland. He won uh, the 95 Riddler with a 92 Mercedes top sportsman car that was just unbelievable. You know, I'm not 1996, hearing... Bob Sweat with the El Toro AA altered. That's I mean, cool. So, that was a cool yeah. one. That, you know, and that's how you voted. And the cool thing, and you know, and there was a question too, and before we, we got on air today, and there was a question of what happened to um, – when you used to walk in, you used to give the ladies three, five bucks, whatever it was, and you got the World of Wheels kind of like magazine or whatever the heck that mm-hmm. thing was, and it had pictures of like if it was Rat Fink's year, you'd have pictures of Rat Fink's and have pictures of the cars and all that stuff. Do they are they ever having that back again? Because that's been sorely missed for years now. Yeah, you know. Um... John, we've been talking about that at the Championship Auto Show's office, which is where ISCA's offices are. Yeah. And we have all of those old old programs there, those Show World magazines, and we're like, you know, the cost has gotten so crazy, but we're talking about maybe we should put together another one and send, you know, that has a bunch of the past years. In yes. It, you know, that yes. The cars are still cool. It doesn't matter when they're from, you know. Yeah, and then for those people that were there, goes, oh, I remember seeing this one. Ta-da, mm-hmm. ta-da. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, definitely, that that was kind of a guide when you walked in, you know, and then you could like, oh, look, this car's here, and now we just have to find it. Because, really, if you haven't gone to, if if anybody is out there that's smart, you guys want to make some money off Autorama, I'll give you the real fast shot. Get yourself, what, like, the Dr. Scholl's concession. You know, whatever that you can make, like, the inside of your shoes feel better. Because you will literally, if you get there at noon, you will go home at 8 o'clock and you still wouldn't have seen everything. You know, and that's on one day. And I'm telling you, kids, yeah, you know, you could go buy the bicycles. And of all the parts of the things, it's never really wild about the bikes. But, you know, everything else, it's a ton this car is better than that car, better than that car. And I remember one year they had, uh, like, um, the the classic car clubs that were in Michigan. I mean, they had the bearing burners, et cetera, et cetera, so mm-hmm. were there. And uh, it, it was funny to see their cars. And everybody's in such great spirits. Boy, you don't see anything breaking out. God help me now. But you, you don't see anything breaking out at Autorama. People are just so pleased to be there. And I mean, just thrilled that you guys have it and, and for if any time that you paul or folks that are, are with you ever feel like man I, God, i'm so tired about doing this thing i will let you know i will talk for the common man that the hundreds of thousands of us that go to the autoramas etc that the whole year would be <laughs> without it you know i mean i think if even if you had it in, in like july or something it'd be cool but it wouldn't be as cool. It literally is. It sets summer. Forget about Tiger's opening day, you know. Mm-hmm. The Autorama really, truly does. And all your hard work, and we can tell, you know, folks, the older you get, the more you understand how tough it is to put on one of these shows. You know, you guys just don't wake up and get your Rolodex out and go, eh, hey, can you guys make it? That's fine. You know, I mean, there's a lot of logistics. There's a lot of... Talking to the unions, there's a lot of doing this, doing that, doing the other thing. And I, I'm, I'm telling you from everybody here and everybody that 
is a, a CK listener. We, we tip our hats to you, Paulie, and your pals for doing such a hell of a job. Nobody's ever said, boy, that was a crap year, you know. <laughs> job well done, boys. All right. So now well, what, thank you. What we got to do is we got to get your buns back on here. Now if we can only find out where you were at every Saturday morning. But, you know, it's, um, <laughs> again, we, we, we haven't even touched the surface yet, and we're way out. And so we should probably tell all the affiliates, affiliates down the CKWI Radio 76 line, we did run a little bit, <laughs> Late with Mr. Pataki, but uh, we'll make it up on the um, sports authorities side today. If you like Detroit sports as much as they do, you'll love the Detroit sports authorities coming up here live at 7 p.m. today. All right, Paul, thanks. I mean, you got to come back on. That's all there is to it. I mean, uh, we can do this for another hour easy. That would be great, John. I really enjoyed myself. Well, I'm I glad you really did. had fun with us. You know, I, I'm glad you did. And if, you know, you can help out some people on Saturday mornings, you know, with your skill, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm always there. Just, I never know what I'm going to do on Saturday morning there. You know, just on the few seconds we got left, how is it like on Saturday morning there? Because, I mean, we show up late. And, of course, we're talking about the mysterious uh, Shadow Woods cave that nobody knows. It's like the Bat Cave. You don't, If you don't know where it's at, you won't know where it's at because there's a bunch of trees in front of it. There's a couple of boulders in front of it. You'll never, 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 ever, ever see it. It's underground. It has its own lighting, and it's got its own air system. But we always see people... <laughs> For the place in that place, and they just seem to be wandering and just like they they know what they're doing, but nobody ever seems mm-hmm. to be in a hurry or nothing. It's like yeah, okay, we're doing something over. I mean, how is that like on Saturdays? Oh, you know, you just never know who's going to show up or what you're going to do. Or somebody might come in with a with a problem, and it's like okay, all hands on deck. Let's let's fix, fix this for them, you know, and just you know. It's all good. That's what we do. We just—it's just all having fun. Is this kind of an offshoot of the original Shadow Woods place? Well, you know, Tom and Jim, you know, and their their dad—they were always helping racers and and doing whatever they can, you know, at the racetrack and at their shop, you know. So it's just you know, Tom and Jim are very giving guys, yeah. And uh, um, you know, and that's just kind of, and it's always been like that, you know, for all of the years that I've hung out with Tom at, at shops and, and, you know, it's like, Hey, th- this is broke. Or he, he'll, he would give me a call and say, Hey, you, you got a couple hours for me tonight. Uh, I need something made and we don't know how to do this. Okay, whatever. Let's go over there and make something. So it, it, we just do whatever we have to do. So, I mean, how do you it's leave fun. the home? You say, okay, dear, I'll be back in a couple of days, <laughs> back a couple of hours. Jim needs me. Got to go. See you. I, I have a very, very understanding wife, and when I go to leave in the morning, she's like, okay, just tell me where you're going. Are you going to your office job, or are you going to the shop? Where are you going? And it, and it confirms confuses her even more because at championship auto shows and isca's office we do have a, a working shop in the back that with a bridgeport and a lathe and all this stuff and and the guys back there will call me you know once in a while and say hey um do you got a couple hours you know this week um, we're kind of in a jam can you make this stuff for us because it's much faster if i just go back there and do some things and help them out and yeah it's okay you know 
it's all fun, you know. It's amazing. And until that point in my life, it's just fun. Yeah, I mean, where normally people would say, well, honey, I'm going to the bar, I'm going to the strip club. No, I'm going to see the Tiganellis. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, I guess I don't know which way some wives would want to see that happen. <laughs> oh, well, my wife, Kim, thinks very highly of Tom and Jim. So they're, How could you, you not? Know. How could you yeah, not? Absolutely. I mean, two of the most charismatic guys we've ever seen. And once you get their rhythm, you know, they're unstoppable. Talking about unstoppable, mm-hmm. we have to stop now. Paul, thank you so very much. Got to come back. We'll, we'll make absolutely make sure that we have you on. All right. I appreciate that. I appreciate you, so too. Much. Thanks, Paul. See you soon, sir. Bye All now. Right. Unbelievable, isn't it? You hear that kind of enthusiasm for everything. And honestly, we didn't even talk that much about um, Autorama, and you should. It is, it is a show not to be missed. And, yeah, there's some people that, well, this year wasn't as good as the other years, or this year was much better than the other year. It doesn't matter. You go anyways. It's like baseball seasons, you know. But except for Autorama, always says that everybody is trying their damnedest, you know, if, if their cars and stuff. And, and the pride you have if your car is in uh, in there. And, and that's kind of like, you know, and especially when we're saying it too, back, back in the heyday, um... That that was like the place to go for a date because boy, you could really show off, you know. Oh yes, I know what that is. So, of course, where's the six pack on that thing? Oh, amazing but true. Oh, but amazing true. The box tops with the letter here on CK.